This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Hi, right, guys. Today, we've got a special guest on the podcast. Her name is Abby Johnson. So she is a former Planned Parenthood employee, and she's not just an employee. She was the employee of the year, and then she turned into an outspoken pro-life advocate. So she left Planned Parenthood after she was asked to actually assist with an abortion. Okay, so she was actually in there uh, at the ultrasound machine using the probe and doing all those things. And she got to watch an abortion up close for the first time after having spent years working for that horribly horrific satanic organization. And it was the first time she got to see the gory reality of what she was selling to women as the director of the clinic. So she left uh, due mainly to the ministry of 40 Days for Life and Sean Carney that you heard on the episode. You've heard a couple episodes here on our podcast and including last week. And she was also depicted as the main character of the pro-life movie Unplanned which we did a deep dive on that particular movie in episode 70 of this podcast. And there was also a book uh, by that name called Unplanned. And she's written other books called The Walls Are Talking. Former abortion clinic workers tell their stories and fierce mercy, daring to live out God's compassion in bold and practical ways. So guys, in this interview, we didn't have a whole lot of time, but obviously we got a little bit into her story about working for Planned Parenthood, how she's really unique in that she's a pro-life advocate that used to work at Planned Parenthood, which is the largest progenitor of baby murder in the United States. Uh, and still to this day, but also we got into her reaction to the Dobbs decision, uh, the overturning of, of Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey and what that looks like now. Some of her concerns about what she we might see with pro-lifers now, that, that those things have been overturned. But then we got into a little discussion about masculinity and manhood and a man's role in the pro-life fight. So a really, really great interview. I'm glad that we got to have her on to talk about it. We'll hopefully have her on uh, down the road to where we can have a much longer discussion. But we got her in for this one. So without further ado, Let's get into it. Abby Johnson, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to have you as part of this thing. We're, we're talking a lot about Roe v. Wade. Now that that's gone, you know, what do we do now? And we'll get way into the Dobbs decision here in a little bit. And I kind of feel sheepish about asking you this question in such a basic way because you've done a whole lot in the pro-life space and you've got a very, very long story about this space. So I'm going to let you take it wherever you want to from an introductory point of view because I recorded the intro uh, and they're going to have a, an idea of who you are. But if you had to say the reason why you personally got into the fight for the pro-life case how would you sum it up? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I just saw like the truth of mm. um of what abortion was. I mean, <laughs> after a really long time of sort of um <laughs> like having it in my face, but uh just not seeing it, you know? I mean, uh the Bible talks about just having a veil, you know over, over your eyes. And that, I mean, that was really me, uh, for, for eight years. I mean, being in the abortion industry, being, uh, you know, a director of Planned Parenthood, uh, but just, just being completely blind to the evil that was really just right in front of me, right in front of my face. And, 
you know, it was just sort of this weird, you know, people talk about God's timing, God's timing, God's timing. Really, there was this God's timing moment uh, where I was called in to assist in an ultrasound guided abortion. Ultrasounds are not typically used in an abortion procedure. They were used that day. You know, it was just like this, this weird time, weird, you know, weird place. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm not supposed to be, you know, in the abortion room. I'm called in to assist because I'm the doctor because I'm, we have a visiting doctor. Um, and, uh, you know, there I am holding this ultrasound probe. I'm not an ultrasound tech. I'm not, I mean, that's not me. Right. Um, and of all places, you know, God shows up in, in the middle of this abortion clinic, in the middle of this abortion procedure to rip this veil, you know, from, from my eyes. And I see this 13 week old baby fighting and, and struggling for his life to, to get away from these abortion instruments. And I, knew then that there was life in the womb, there was humanity in the womb, and uh, I knew I'd been lied to. More than that, I, you know, I wasn't a victim in this process. I mean, I I knew that uh, I had eagerly believed this lie for money, for, I don't know, justification of my own two abortions. You know, it's a lot easier for a woman who's had an abortion or, or men who have participated in abortion or paid for abortions or driven their girlfriends to abortion, you know, whatever. It's a lot easier to say that wasn't a baby mm-hmm. or that was a nothing or that was just cells or it wasn't killing, it wasn't murder, whatever. It's a lot easier to say that than to say, oh, crap, like I've just killed my baby, right? Or I've participated in murder. Or, you know, whatever. It's a lot easier to be like, nah, it was nothing. And so I think that's sort of where I was because I'd had my own two abortions. So, um, yeah. And I knew that, you know, because I had so eagerly believed this lie, I had then in turn lied to thousands of women who had come into my facility. And, uh, God, like, I hate liars. And I I was like, at this moment, I'm the biggest liar I know. And I just thought I got to, I got to get out of here. Well, and Abby, there, there's a tremendous uniqueness to your story. And I think way back on like episode 70 of this podcast, I did a deep dive of unplanned. I think I literally recorded the episode right when I got back from the theater. Obviously you've written a book that kind of details all this. And we don't have a ton of time today to go into all those details, but the unique thing about you and your fight here for the pro-life cause is there are a lot of women, prominent women that are prominent in the pro-life cause that had abortions. And then that kind of led them to those to those different areas and those different things. But most of these women didn't work for Planned Parenthood and you didn't just work for Planned Parenthood. You weren't just, you know, taking out the trash or, you know, checking people in at the front. I mean, I think at one point you were actually the the employee of the year for yeah. the largest abortion provider, provider in the United States. So talk a little bit about the uniqueness of, of that because you have seen and done things. Cause like whenever I talk about the 3% farce that Planned Parenthood throws out there, like I'm doing that based on knowledge that I've gotten from other people that have gotten it from other people that have looked at the annual report that may or may not have worked at Planned Parenthood. You were there. This was wrapped mm-hmm. up in your entire identity. So give us a little bit more on that. Yeah. I mean, it's true. I think, uh, you know, I think that, what was interesting about sort of me leaving Planned Parenthood was 
pro-lifers, you know, they had these ideas, you know, they're like, oh, we, th- yeah, we're pretty sure, you know, Planned Parenthood is doing this. We're pretty sure the abortion industry is doing this. We're pretty sure this is what the industry is about, right? And, and for the most part, they were right. You know, they had, they had most things right. When I left Planned Parenthood in 2009, it was like, you know, I came out and, and was like, oh, by the way, like I, I want to, like, I want to tell you if you're right or not, right? Like I want to confirm or, or, you know, help you, uh, you know, redefine your knowledge here, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think it was, it was sort of very eye-opening for pro-life. I remember the first the first event I ever did was in New York City. It was like in the, it was in the Bronx. It was in this basement of this Knights of Columbus Hall. Okay. Okay. In this Catholic church. It was like this damp, like dark basement, right? And there were like a hundred Knights of Columbus and their wives. I had never spoken, you know, to an audience before. Like I'd gone on Huckabee. I'd gone on the O'Reilly mm-hmm. show. But like I'd never you know, spoken to an audience before. It was in December. I just left October 6th. This is now like the beginning of December. And uh, man, it was like I had like diarrhea of the mouth, you know? It was just like, <laughs> I just like couldn't stop talking. And I, I talked for like, we like talked and I did a Q&A for three hours. Oh, and wow. And like they couldn't get enough, right? They're mm. like, tell us everything you know, yeah. you know, because it, it was just like, I had so much to say. I had so many things like, and I wanted to share it. I wanted to tell them everything. Like I wanted to dump everything, you know? And I was like, I wanted to tell them like, yes, you were right about this. Or, you know, here's things you don't know, right? Right. That That I want you to know. Because I wanted them to know like every sinister thing that the industry was doing to women, to babies, to fathers, to families, because it was so bad and it was worse than they could even imagine. And, and, and I just, I wanted to expose that so desperately and I wanted everybody to know about it, you know? Right. And that was one of the reasons that I wrote Unplanned. I mean, yeah, I, I wrote it actually. I mean, I wrote it because I thought this will be good for me. Like to get, mm-hmm. you know, to get, get all this out. And and I thought it would be like good healing for me too. But I was like, I just, I got to tell people, I got to tell people that they, people think pro-lifers think the abortion industry is insidious. They have no idea. Yeah. They have no idea how bad it really, really is. Well, Abby, we never get a peek behind the curtain of real depravity, almost ever. And then when we do, we don't believe our eyes, right? And so right. We, 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 don't, we don't absolutely want to believe it. But whenever we don't get a peek behind the curtain, we're left to our imagination. Right. And in some scenarios, the imagination runs wild and goes beyond what's actual reality. But in other areas, so like I think about this in kind of the, the human trafficking uh, standpoint or any of these other types of abuses that are happening, people have never smelled human trafficking. But those that have, you know what I mean? It's yeah. different. Like they, they've they never tasted what's in the air whenever they save, you know, 15 
toddlers from sexual predations of men around the globe. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's just, it's very, very different. And that's what happens in, in this world. And so that's why I'm so glad that the uniqueness of your situation has caused you to be able to inform the people in this pro-life case way better than someone that just read a, a bunch of books, which those things are valuable, or even people that listen to me because I haven't been in those shoes. I haven't been in those rooms, but you have, but we do need to go ahead and move on to one of the main reasons why I wanted to get you on here today, which is the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization decision. So obviously on June the 24th, of 2022, one of the greatest days in the history of our country. Dobbs was upheld by a 6-3 decision. And most importantly, Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood, your old employer, v. Casey was overruled in a 5-4 decision because Justin Ro Justice Roberts is a sucky, cowardly weakling and I hate him. But two questions I got uh, for you on this. What was your reaction to the Politico leak of Alito's majority draft decision that came out, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks before. And then what was your reaction to the announcement that Roe and Casey are now dead? So I, you know, I, I mean, okay. So, I mean, first of all, the draft opinion being leaked was, I mean, it was terrible that it was leaked as uh, complete, you know, breach of the trust of the court. Um, it was terrible that, you know, the, it was really terrible that the left was like celebrating the leak, right? right? And they're celebrating the leaker. You know, they're like, oh, thanks. This is great. I'm like, if it was the other side, they would be, ter you know, they would be right. so angry, right? But anyway, they, I mean, it, their morals are, yeah. I mean, they're in the toilet, right? So they don't, um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was terrible to have that sort of breach in the, in, you know, the highest court in our land. Um, I wasn't surprised that the, that the that the opinion went the way that it did, right? I I mean, I listened to I listened to the arguments, the Dobbs case. Um, I pretty much knew from the arguments which way it was going to go, and that was because and I, I went in I went in with it with a really open mind, mm -hmm. right? Because I thought, okay, uh, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna listen to the to the Mississippi solicitors. I'm going to listen to the Biden solicitors. And I, and I figured that Biden was going to bring like his best people. Right. <laughs> so I thought I'm going to, I'm going to really listen to this. I'm going to go into this with an open mind. I really want to hear what they're going to say. And I, and I sort of thought they're going to bring their a game and they may be better than the Mississippi solicitors. So I didn't know. Um, the Mississippi solicitor was a young guy. I didn't know how experienced he was. And if mm -hmm. I'm quite honest with you, like I remember when, uh, the whole women's health case, the, uh, Whole Woman's Health, the Hellerstadt case went to the Supreme Court and they sucked. Like our yeah. side was terrible. We lost because our side was terrible. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, mm, not going in with like any big expectations for the conservative side because we often lose when it, when it comes to like our side of the argument. So I went in listening with an open mind and I got to tell you, the Biden solicitors just really, I mean, they were awful. And, uh, I, I didn't think the Mississippi solicitor was particularly like fantastic, but I thought he did better than the Biden solicitors. And I thought I knew that they lost it. Um, I knew that they lost the case when, when, uh, justice Clarence Thomas, he, I mean, that was like his like moment, right. <laughs> to shine, yeah. like what he'd been waiting for his whole life, you know? <laughs> and he asked, uh, the Biden solicitors, are you asking for abortion to remain constitutional based on a right to privacy, a right to freedom, or a right to liberty? Because they've been at, they've been asking for all three, and that's not what Roe was 
basically that's not why they had they had said that Roe needed to be constitutional. Roe was based on a constitutional right to privacy. But in the solicitors' arguments, the Biden solicitors' arguments, they had been asking for Roe to remain constitutional based on all three of those rights. So they were basically asking to expand the constitutional right to abortion. Sure. Yep. And I thought, mm, that's not a good argument because now you're no. asking for the Constitution to expand the right to abortion. And that's that's a tricky game. Right. Right. So I thought it wasn't in there. to It wasn't in there to begin with. And now you're wanting to expand. Right. And now you're, now you're doesn't to exist. expand it. Right. Yeah. And so when I thought, oh, this is th- their their answer to this is going to hinge on whether or not and on the court's decision. Right. And that Biden solicitor answered and she said, well, we're asking for the for all three. And I thought, oh, chicky, like you just you just lost. And um, and so when the when the draft opinion came out, da- came out, I thought, OK, well, I'm not I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that they lost. I read through the draft opinion. I thought it was really solid. And um, and so, you know, then there was all this upheaval, which is exactly why the, why the, why the opinion was released, because they were trying to cause all, all this upheaval. But it was like they thought that, you know, oh, oh, they're going to change their mind. Okay. Like, like Justice Thomas, like any of these people are going to go, you're right. You know, you're protesting outside my house. And so now I'm going to change my mind on the constitution. Right. I mean, like, no, like they're not going to change your mind. And look, I don't know. I actually don't know if Kavanaugh is, is pro-life. Okay. I don't know. I know Amy Coney Barrett is pro-life. Right. I know Justice Thomas, obviously, very pro-life, right? I don't know if Gorsuch is pro-life. I don't know if Kavanaugh is pro-life. What I do know is that they are constitutionalists. Right. And what I do know is that they did not find a constitutional right to abortion because the Biden solicitors did not prove that there was a constitutional right to abortion. They did not do their job. Okay. That's that's mm. the bottom line. So, and the Mississippi solicitor did a good enough job proving his case. That's what it is. That that's all it is. And so I thought you can riot, you can you can go to their houses, you mm-hmm. can get really really ticked off, but at the bottom the, the end of the day, the bottom line is that you didn't prove your case. Right. And uh and so I knew that these these justices were not going to suddenly flip their decision because I knew they were they were steadfast constitutionalists. Which is great. And that's one thing that kind of goes back to, I remember in 2016, and I've talked about this a lot on the show, I just could not bring myself to vote for Donald Trump. And I certainly wasn't going to vote for Hillary Clinton. And I remember people making the argument to me, Kyle, the Supreme Court is too important. It shouldn't be this important, but it is important. You have to have him in there because, you know, if it gets twisted the other way, you know, we need these one or two people that we're going to get. Obviously didn't know Trump was going to win. Obviously didn't know Trump was going to get three picks before his first term in office. And that all three picks that we're going to vote in this case to overturn Planned Parenthood v. Casey and, and Roe v. Wade. But the thing about it is, I think it's interesting that you brought this up, is there are people on our side, Abby, that will say, but Trump's probably not actually pro-life in his real life. He probably doesn't actually believe that. And I'm like, does that matter? Who cares? Does that honestly matter? Because like, I, I care about how you legislate. I care That's about right. how you govern. I care about the decisions that you make. I don't care about your deeply held beliefs. You know why? I'm not married to you. I don't right. really care whether or not you believe that. So I find I'm not that asking to- Donald Trump on a date. Right. Okay? Like I'm not asking him to be my husband. Okay. I'm not even asking him to come have Christmas dinner with me. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't care. I don't care what his personal beliefs are. Okay. Like I, I don't care. What I care is the decisions that he's making for our country. That mm-hmm. that's what I care about. 
And what I know to be true is that while he was in office, he picked three constitutionalist justices. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And now that has mattered. That has mattered tremendously. Right. Not just to the pro-life movement, but to many things that conservatives care about. Gun rights, and it's going to matter with immigration. It's going to matter with LGBTQ stuff, with transgender stuff, with children. It's going to matter for all of these things. And that's what I said immediately. Like, I I was on a lawnmower when I got the call that the Dobbs decision had gone down. I hop off the lawnmower. I'm still sweating and sunburned, and I've got my camo shirt on, and I come up here and I record an episode. And, you know, I was just talking about this automatically made Donald Trump the most pro-life president yeah. ever and thus potentially one of the greatest presidents of all time. Because think about it. We ne- we didn't live through Abraham Lincoln's time, but if the only thing he ever got done during his time as president was the Emancipation Proclamation, everything else was worth it. So for Trump, all the mean tweets, all the stupid things he said out loud, all the dumb ideas that he said while he was just up there in front of a microphone, I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it forever. And that's a guy that still bothers me. I hope he doesn't run in 2024. We'll see if he does. But again, this has expanded my understanding of how we should vote. Because again, you can't love everything that somebody is and does. And you also have to look at them beyond who they are. You have to look at their administration. Because you can hate Donald Trump the man, and love the things that the Trump administration did. And the same can be true, Abby. You could love Joe Biden, the man, and then look at the administration and the current status of the country and be like, well, this really freaking sucks. I hope that we don't have to go through this anymore or again. But this all kind of crescendos to the real question that I wanted to ask you, and I'm asking to all these people that work professionally in this space, is Rose gone. Planned Parenthood v. Casey is gone now. So what does the focus of the pro-life cause need to be? It's dead. Now what? Well, so here's my fear, okay? My fear is, and my fear has always been since, you know, we've been talking about the end of Roe and it's sort of been upon us, right? And now Mm -hmm. it's happened. My fear is that people in the pro-life movement are going to go, great, like our work's done. (laughs) Like, and especially in, you know, like deep red states like Texas where I live or, you know, Tennessee or Arkansas or Alabama or, you know, wherever, like these deep red states, people are going to go, ah, okay, well, I'm, I'm done working now, you know, um, and now I can move on to something else. There, there is nothing that could be further from the truth. So, you know, abortion is a, definitely a spiritual battle. We see that. I mean, it's like Satan standing right in front of us now and people don't even recognize him, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, We've definitely seen that since, you know, Roe has been overturned just through the protests and just the disgusting things that we have seen. Um, It's sort of like, you know, apathy really rears its head when we have our guy in the White House, right? Right. So we see less pro-life legislation passed at the state level when we have a Republican in the White House, right? Mm -hmm. We do better. We fight harder when we have an adversary in the White House. That makes no sense, right? Right. Like that, that literally makes no sense because 
it really abortions not performed in the White House, right? Like mm-hmm. abortions not performed in the halls of Congress, right? It's always in our communities. It's always a state issue. It's always a, a local community issue, right? But for some reason, we just become super apathetic when we have our dude in federal office. Right. And so that's that's really my fear right now. And, you know, you've got guys like George Soros, Warren Buffett, like why they're they're still alive Um, and they are billionaires and they are population control advocates. Okay, And even when they die, their legacy is going to continue to live on through their children and their family members and their foundations. And these people are already moving money through red states to try to flip them blue. And they're doing it in Texas. They're do- mm-hmm. We see it in Texas. They're doing it in other states. They are trying to particularly influence gubernatorial races. Um, and in a- many places, it's working. Um, right. You know, some red states are, are sort of turning purple. Um, some red counties are starting to turn purple. Um, and that's what they're doing. They're doing, they're going county by county. Right. So, um, so anyway, we, you know, and that's how they're doing it. They're doing it through, uh, through voting. And so I, I think that, you know, we have to be very careful not to become complacent. We have to become very careful not to become apathetic. And we have to understand that just because abortion, is, you know, abortion clinics may close in, you know, brick and mortar abortion mm-hmm. clinics may close in our state. That does not mean that crisis pregnancies are going away. Right. Crisis pregnancies are still going to exist. And the FDA has essentially eliminated all regulations on medication abortion. So the right. RU-486 bill. Over 50% of abortions taking place in our country right now are being done through RU-46. They're being done through medication abortion or chemical abortion. And more than half of those are being sent to women through the mail. Right. That is going to only increase now that abortion, brick and mortar abortion facilities are closing. So I can literally go online right now in my state of Texas where abortion is illegal and I can order abortion pills and have them sent to my house in Texas right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I could kill a baby in my womb legally here in the state of Texas. So the idea that abortion is going to go away in these in these deep red states, you know, that's a farce. Women are still going to be having medication abortions. Women are still going to be getting pregnant, having crisis pregnancies. You know, anybody here, you know, if your family, if you individually are not supporting a pro-life center, you know, a pro-life organization, if you're not supporting one monthly, at least one, you need to be. Um, you know, if you're not involved, if you're not volunteering, if you're not giving of your, your time and your talent and your treasure regularly you need to be um because i I can tell you right now like our organization our organization love line which is a 24-hour crisis hotline for women uh we're intaking 60 to 80 women a day and those calls just continue to come in we are continuing to see more and more women week by week and that that's just going to continue to rise 
uh, as more and more states ban abortion. Plus, you've got corporations, you know, these woke corporations that are now paying, you know, $4,000 for women to travel to states like California, Oregon, Washington, New York, New Jersey, you know, all these deep blue states, you know, because Gavin Newsom has declared, you know, California is a sanctuary city for abortion. Why not? Right. You know, it's a sanctuary city for everything else immoral. Um, and, you know, you've got these corporations that are paying for women to have abortions, of course, because that's a business decision for them. They're not going right. to pay for women to have their babies, but they're mm-hmm. going to pay for women to kill their babies because it's a lot. It's a lot. That That's what they want. They want right. women in their companies to be childless and working. They want you back in your cubicle and they don't want you asking questions. And that's why I think it's a good opportunity for pro-life organizations. And we've seen that with some uh, insurance companies and some random companies that have been like, hey, we'll we'll pay for you to not only have your kid and have some time off, we'll pay for you to adopt a kid if you want to do that. And so you, you brought up a lot of great things there, a lot of things that I've been preaching. But a couple of things is, I think a lot of churches, Abby, were caught flat-footed because they were just like me. They were pessimistic about this ever being overturned. And so they were just like, oh, shoot, this is overturned now. Like, oh, uh, you know, wh- where are our pregnancy resource centers? Like, we need to make sure we can direct our flock towards those people because, again, there was this overall pessimism that this was ever going to change and that it was ever going to be adjusted. But uh, I know we're running short on time, so we'll make this the last question for you today. I told you off air that your audience today is majority men, overwhelmingly majority men. There are a lot of men that have bought into the lie that no uterus, no opinion, and all that. And I've dealt with that objection and I've disabused everyone in my audience of that objection. So I don't think you're going to have to really go over how to deal with that in particular, but I know that a lot of guys do still feel a little sheepish on this topic. They don't know exactly how to use their gift of masculinity and strength and testosterone and fortitude and all those things in this issue. So for you, that's been working in this area for a very long period of time, what would you say to those men? You know, um, that's such a, it's a big question. Um, you know, I, I, I have a couple of answers to that question. So one, I, th- I think that, you know, we live in a society that is so greatly emasculated men. And that has been primarily because of secular feminism that has told men to, I hate feminism, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's told men to sit down, to shut up, to not use your voice. Um, that, you know, Chivalry is the devil. Um, But let me tell you something. Every woman I know, every good woman I know, uh, loves a masculine man. And part of masculinity is protecting women and being a father and using your voice to stand up for your family and stand up for your children and standing up for your wife. Um, I, you know, I, every once in a while we would, you know, for whatever reason, a a woman would ask for her husband or a boyfriend or whatever to come back into the counseling room with her while I was at Planned Parenthood. And every time they would be in my office, I would always ask him, you know, what do you, what do you think about this? Hmm. And every single time he would give me one of two answers. He would say, oh, well, it's, 
It's her body. You know, she's her decision. Or they would say, oh, well, she's already made up her mind. So I'm fine with it. And every single time I would watch her and she would be looking at him, like yep. yearning, like waiting for him. Help me. Stand in. up yep. and to say something. Right. Right. And he would always fail her every single time. And I guess that's, you know, I am a woman who for many years, uh, while I worked at Planned Parenthood, emasculated my husband. And we had a lot of a healing to do in our marriage um, for him to take his rightful place in our home as, you know, the leader of our home, as a spiritual leader of our home. Um, you know, I, it took me a long time to learn to submit <laughs> to my mm-hmm. husband, um, you know, in the way that God wanted me to. And, you know, I would say that, you know, to men, women are waiting for that. Women are waiting for you to stand up, to take your place in the home, to take your place specifically as a spiritual leader in your home. And so, you know, if you are not leading your family, if you are not the one that's waking up early to take your family to church every Sunday, if you are not the one that's leading your family in prayer time, if you are not the one that's opening up the Bible and teaching your children about your faith, then you're failing your family. And only you can can pick up that cross and lead your family. And it may feel weird at first. It may feel awkward at first, but you are the one that God has chosen to lead your family and to lead them well and to lead them in the foundations of your faith. And God takes that very seriously and you should take that very seriously as well. I think that's a great uh, place to leave this interview. I mean, you literally co-signed things that I have been screaming through my microphone to my audience and to my men for a very long period of time, taking, you know, the the role of catechizing their family and their children in not just being a spiritual thermometer, but being a thermostat and setting the spiritual temperature of their household. That is a hard thing. And you are a very strong-willed woman. And so I've, I'm glad that, that you admitted that, hey, it was hard for you because some people are submissive by nature. You're obviously not. You're, you're more of a fighter. Oh, and that, yeah, and that, that caused causes some consternation in a relationship, especially when there's a differing of opinions, when you have a guy that is a little bit more submissive in his personality. If you give that, if you feed that, if you give that gasoline, it actually hurts the relationship, even though culture in modern, you know, second, third, and going into fourth wave feminism is telling, you know, that's the right thing. But we know as Christians that God gave us this complementary relationship between men and women for his glory and also for our flourishing. And if you try to do something outside of that mold, it's not going to work out well for you, no matter how many self-help books you've read and know how many stupid influencers on Instagram you listen to with their silly little advice. But we've got a, a lot more that we could cover. Perhaps we'll do it uh, another time down the line, but that's all for me for now. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? You know what, Kyle? There's just little things like I, I was thinking the other day, like little things that you can set examples for your children too. I think affection is really important in a household. I think showing, you know, godly affection to your wife, to your spouse, you know, wives to your husbands, I think that's really important. And I also think setting the example of chivalry for your children, particularly for your sons is really important. So, you know, when you know, when I'm sitting in the car and we get out of the car, I sit there and wait for my husband to come open the door for me 
you know, mm-hmm. and my husband always goes to my door first to open the door. You know, we when we go into a restaurant, I stand there and wait for him to pull my chair out. It's just mm-hmm. little things like that, setting an example for your kids. And it's and it's showing that he honors me in that way. It's just little things like that. And you have to get into the practice of doing it. Um, but I think that those sorts of examples for your children are really important to set as well. I'm glad that you said that. And it just you saying that is going to give some guys ideas. And I know families where uh, when mom comes to the table to sit down, all of the Everybody husband and the up. sons will stand up out of <laughs> yeah. reverence. If she needs to get up and leave, they stand up out of reverence for mom. And I have two sons and I've got a gangster wife and they're going to see that chivalry and they're going to see that manhood displayed in that way. So I appreciate you echoing that. But Abby Johnson, thank you for coming on on Daunted Life, a man's podcast. Of course. Thank you so much. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed the appearance of Abby Johnson on the show. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got a lot of links for you today. I've got a link to Abby's website. I've also got a link to her organization, Loveline, which she mentioned in the episode. And that also links to the Unplanned book, The Walls Are Talking book, and Fierce Mercy. All of those are Amazon links, so you guys can check those out. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak, live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at andonta.life. That's I-N-F-O at andonta.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.